Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. With us on this episode is Case Dorman, the owner of Jack Stack Barbecue. Welcome, Case. Thanks, Kelly. Not many people can say they bought the company they worked for when they were 16 years old. And yet, that's exactly what you did. And the funny part about it, to me anyway, is that you almost didn't survive your first day on the job. So tell us about that first day of the company you would someday own and the lesson you learned from that. Yeah, so very true. I like to tell this story to our team as an example of of the passion that we have for our business and our commitment to excellence and what we strive for every day. So uh, back in 1979, I was uh, 16 years old. I played tennis at Grandview High School and I was coming home from a tennis match. And my folks decided we'd stop at the smokestack in Martin City and grab a sandwich. And so they had a help wanted sign on the door. And so I asked for an application when I uh, when I came in and I filled it out while we were eating and uh, asked for a manager. And uh, the manager came by and he said, hey, great to meet you, Case. Can you start tomorrow? Oh, wow. And I said, sure. I can start tomorrow. The following day was Mother's Day, which uh, at that point was the busiest day in the year for most restaurants. Uh, Certainly for our restaurant, it was the busiest day of the year. And so I was supposed to be there at 11. I got there about 20 minutes early and they were uh, kind of instructing me on where to go and what to do. And they said, okay, well, you're going to be in charge of beans today. And your only job is when they call for beans to make sure that you have enough beans in the counter and that they're hot. And I thought, piece of cake no sweat. And so uh, 11 o'clock rolls around and they said, start putting some beans up. And so I started uh, started doing my thing. And just three or four minutes later, this uh, this really large man came around the corner and, uh, and he had a big dark afro and uh, he stuck his finger right in the middle of one of my beans. And he looked at me and he said, let me tell you something, you little so-and-so. And it wasn't very nice what he said to me. And he said, if you put one more cold bean in my counter, you're fired. And I thought a couple things in that instant. One, I thought the next bean of mine that he puts his finger in, I'm going to take some skin off of his finger. Uh, <laughs> he motivated you, that's for sure. He did. This uh, was Jack, I said. This was Jack, yeah. yes, my father-in-law. And my next thought was, wow, he is really serious about us getting this right. And not just right but excellent. I could see the passion he had for his business very quickly. I could see the passion he had for us performing at a very high level uh, very early on. And I was drawn to that. As much as it set me back initially having that exchange with him, it really motivated me to want to perform well when I was there. So I have to ask you, why were your beans cold? Well, they weren't very specific in my initial training on how hot hot should be. So I see. Uh, okay, it wasn't like you just forgot to turn the burner. And they were not <laughs> cold. They just didn't burn his finger. I see. And okay. I would like to point out, Kelly, that we no longer stick our fingers in the beans. <laughs> Good that was a uh, that was a 1970s practice that uh, you know you can imagine seeing a lot of old cooking shows where the chef sticks their finger in the item that they're making and samples it and right eats uh, off the spoon that they're very, stirring with very yeah. much a product of the 70s and not done uh, for many many years. So. I worked in restaurants in the 70s. I know what went on in restaurants in the 70s. Yes. So I get it. So so what was it that made you realize that you were going to stick with this company? Was that kind of a gradual realization? Did you leave and come back? Tell us about that. Yeah, so really really the most important thing that happened to me on that first day was I saw this really beautiful young lady 
for the first time in my life. I can still get a little choked up talking about this. My kids all know this story. We have it documented as a family that I saw my wife for the first time that day, and I just knew immediately I was attracted to her and drawn to her. She has um, such a way about her. She's a beautiful lady, but she has a beautiful smile. And uh, took the guy next to me, and I said, I'm going to take that girl out. And he said, you will die. That is the owner's daughter. You just saw him. He carries a gun in his shoe, and he will shoot you. This sounds like a plot out of a movie. <laughs> it was very, very uh, surreal, right, mm-hmm. for me. But uh, but long story short, uh, several months later, six months later or so, um, it turned out that she um, thought I was kind of cute, too. But while I was washing dishes, I had dropped my school schedule, and she stepped on it so she could find out what my name was because she didn't want to ask somebody what my name was because that would be a tell. So she uh, she actually kept my school schedule, and I had to figure out my first day of school by myself um, that next Monday. But she started talking to me, and we started talking, and lo and behold, we started going out. And once we went out, it was clear to me that I should not continue to work there. My father-in-law and I had a very contentious uh, early period. My father-in-law and I both have very strong personalities. We both uh, think we know what we want and uh, and are very passionate when we decide to go after something. And uh, and so we clashed pretty hard for, uh, for a number of years. But you came back. I did. I... Uh, I left. I stayed in the restaurant industry. I went to uh, technical school. Uh, back then, it was a certificate in computer technology. So I thought I was going to be a computer nerd after Good. I graduated from the school. There, uh, the yeah, yeah, back with mainframes and uh, right. and pre PC. Anyway, I started doing that. Jennifer and I continued to date in 1986. We got engaged to be married, and we bought our first home. And I was working as a electronic technician for uh, electronic business equipment here in town. And she was managing the restaurant. And that was our married plan. I was going to continue to pursue a career in, uh, in electronics and computers. And she was going to manage the restaurant. And that was our plan. I came back and started working nights after we bought our first house just to earn a little extra cash so that we could uh, afford our home. I found myself after you know several months, I found myself just kind of running from my day job to get to the restaurant at night because I was just so energized by it and uh, was finding my passion for uh, for the business. And about six months after that, our general manager at the time left pretty abruptly. And uh, my father-in-law, Jack, came to me and he said, I could really use your help. What do you think about partnering with me? And uh, and I said, I don't know. I got to think about it. He, I said, we were, uh, we were not very good on our first attempt. And, uh, and he said, yeah. He said, I know that. He said, but things are different now. And if it doesn't work, we'll know. And you can go back to what you were doing and, you know, we'll continue what we're doing. So I did. I thought about it that night. And uh, what really struck me was my years working in the industry. So all the time I was going through school, I was working in restaurants and uh, and had a variety of experiences. I, uh, I witnessed a lot of really poor leadership in the restaurant industry. And I was blessed enough to work with a great leader, a, a guy named Joe Mercer, who used to run Harry Starker's on the plaza. Joe really inspired me because he had created at that restaurant a very professional atmosphere. I, I felt like everybody I worked with in that restaurant 
was uh, was not just there as a job to pass through to something else in life, but they were true restaurant professionals that worked there. And he had developed a great team that had uh, admiration and respect for one another. Everybody did their work and did it well and performed at a high level. And, uh, and at that time, I've told many people, I think we were the best restaurant in Kansas City. It was Kansas a great City. restaurant. Yeah. I remember it. I had many lunches in particular there. Uh, and here you are now, nearly 45 years later from the first day that you started. And you've been there to witness the growth and really see how the sausage is made. And you've learned from many different restaurant professionals. So what's been the secret sauce that's carried the Jack Stack brand all these years, especially in light of all the other competition for barbecue that we have here in Kansas City? I really think the what separates us from from all the competition in restaurant in Kansas City is our people and our commitment to our people and and our passion for creating an environment where people can thrive. In my early years working in restaurants, I got to see um, a lot of bad examples of how not to do that. And I got to see one really good example of how to do that. And so when I was given the opportunity one of my goals for us as a company was to create a different way of leading restaurants in a way that honored and respected every individual who worked in our company and just a commitment to them first. So in most restaurants in those days, all you heard about was the customer's always right. And it is the guest. It's our guests today that are our lifeblood, but it's our people that are going to be in front of that guest. And it's our people that are going to going to share our values and help our guests to see and feel the culture that we have as a company. And I just knew that if we didn't commit to our team first, all of those people that had poured their hearts into our business first, we could never expect them to do that for our guests. And so to me, it was pretty simple math. But today, I mean, people talk about the pandemic. They talk about everything that's kind of, you know, happened through the last number of years. And it has been a challenge for everybody in our industry. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to sell that short. I, I have always told our team, if you are a professional in the restaurant industry and you live in Kansas City, you should want to work for our company because we're going to pay you better. We're going to treat you better. We're going to provide more opportunity. We're just going to create a better opportunity for the individual than our competitors will. So even in our darkest days through COVID. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How did you get through that when you couldn't open and so forth? How did you yeah. take care of folks then? The same way we've always done it, Kelly. We uh, we stuck by our team and uh, and we put them first and we committed to them that we were going to work through this together and come out the other side together. And so it was hundreds of very committed individuals on our team running as hard as they could to make sure that we could save what it was that we had. Yeah, I know another issue that restaurants, really all businesses uh, for that matter, have experienced during COVID is supply chain issues. And the restaurant industry has been no different. You know, meatpacking plants uh, shut down and uh, all kinds of different things have occurred, as we all know. So you put in place some pretty innovative uh, measures that allowed you to continue to have access and also kept things affordable. So tell us about that strategy. Yeah, so there was a little, there was a lot of good news, bad news going on at that uh, at that time. And you know, I've always held this philosophy that when things are their toughest, I think is where uh, culture really shines. And if you have a strong culture, you'll rise above 
adversity, you'll rise above the challenges that present themselves. And our team, I mean, I take no credit for this. Our team got very, very creative. Good news, bad news. In uh, 2019, in the fall of 2019, we had uh, invested in our new event facility at 137th and Antioch. It's called Fiorella's Event Center. We had made a substantial investment in that facility, 40,000 square feet. And uh, all of a sudden, four months later, COVID strikes us. And we've got all of this space and clearly, we can't do public events. Nobody's going to have a, uh, a public event with the new COVID restrictions. So we had a large facility that we had access to and we could use as a warehouse. So we just went out and as expediently as we could, we just started buying the products that we knew were going to be crucial for us to be able to make it through the tough months that we had ahead. And we filled our event space with those things that we needed and, uh, and came up with a warehousing uh, situation for ourselves. And then we did have great vendor partners too. I mean, our vendor partners uh, really prioritized us. And we talk about this a lot too. We talk about, you know, our, our vendor relationships that we have and the importance of our vendor relationships. And, and it just proved out for us that when you do what you say you're going to do year after year, and you build really strong partnerships, then those are the relationships that count the most when things get tough. And our vendors rallied around us. We rallied around them, and uh, and it worked for us. So, but we did. You know, we had the disadvantage of having a uh, a very substantial investment that wasn't generating any revenue, but we had the advantage to be able to use the facility for other purposes during that time, and it really worked out well for us. Right. That resiliency. So many, so many stories like that during COVID. You know, so often businesses will just take off. They'll grow really fast and they think that they are successful, but the growth actually kills them because it's not managed well. It's not sustainable in the long term. How has Jack Stack over several generations of family, which is a whole nother issue with a lot of businesses, how has it been able to grow uh, within the family framework as well as just the decisions that you need to make when you're deciding you're going to open a new location or open an event center and so forth? Um, how have you been able to manage that kind of growth? So I think, I think the most important thing that we really work hard to hold ourselves to is this value that we have that's very important and uh, listed in our core values of excellence. And so anytime we think about expansion, the first question that we ask ourselves is, can we do it with excellence? Can we maintain and sustain the levels of quality that we have in our business today and continue to work to improve that with this addition to our business? And so, so when we ask ourselves that question first, we're more cautious with the growth opportunities that we take. Um, it's, it's interesting because I have this conversation with my sons a lot around, you know, business planning and clarity and those kind of things. And, uh, and I've never been a, you know, we have, to, we have to do this by this time and this by this time and this by this time guy. I've always felt like I would show up every day, do my best work. And if 
opportunities presented themselves, great opportunities presented themselves, then it would be very clear to us what the great opportunities were, and we should take advantage of those when they came. There's never been this drive to grow for the sake of growth. It's always been growth to create opportunity, growth to extend excellence, growth to continue a trajectory that we're on. We are very much a pro-growth company, but we like to do that in a way that allows us to live into that value of excellence that we have. the family transitions. And there have been several throughout the years. Uh, But when you bought Jack Stack from your father-in-law, Jack Fiorella, in 2009, what did you do to ensure a successful transition? You've already said that you're both um, very, um, very passionate people. Passionate. And we're both very driven and and we know what we want. Exactly. Or we think we know so what we want. Sometimes when that happens, uh, you know, there's a clash of personalities, as there was early on with you. But as, for example, as he had to exit the business, where did he put that passion so that it was yours now? I mean, sometimes with people that kind of a personality, it's hard to leave. And you obviously, you knew what you wanted in the direction that you wanted to take it. So how did you manage that transition? Yeah, so, so family business is challenging. And I would say at a lot of levels, at emotional levels, it's much more challenging than a business that that doesn't revolve around family. My father-in-law and I were incredible partners for 25 years. He had a he had a level of brilliance that that was uniquely his and I was able to to learn from him for all of those years and he taught me so much, but but I had different talents than he had, and and my talents with his talents were a very powerful combination, and we both realized it, and we both were able to leverage that, and we just had this incredible rapport with one another, where I respected what he was great at, and he respected what I was great at, and uh, and it worked, and so the, there was a process. He was he had great foresight in the early '90s. He made a plan for uh, for us to buy the business from him, and uh, and it was a progression. And so through the early 2000s, you know, the progression was really Jack was becoming less as I was becoming more. So he was allowing me to lead. I had moved into the presidency of the company in the early 2000s. So uh, so I've been in that role for a number of years. But Jack was. Uh, Jack is an extremely charismatic figure. When uh, when he walks into a room, he kind of takes over the room. So he has a really powerful personality. That's not me. I'm very introverted. I'm quiet. I move to the corner instead of to the center of the room. So uh, so I was really aware that I couldn't do it the way he did it, and I had to do it the way it worked for me. And he was so respectful of that. We both admired each other's strengths. So he admired my strengths and supported those strengths. And so when we uh, when we did the transition, I really treated it as a new start for our business. And I did a bit of research myself on life cycles of family businesses, why family businesses survive, why family businesses fail. And we shared that with our team. We had a we had a company-wide meeting across every business unit that we had at the time. At the time, we had six different business units. We had meetings with each one of those business units. We talked about the life cycle of family business. We talked about the life cycle of business in general and how when businesses meet maturity, eventually there's a decline. So you have to really renew growth. You have to start growth again. And so approach to the team was, we're going to do that now. We're going to start all over again. Like we haven't been here for the last 40 years. We're going to start all over again, and we're going to create what our core values are today. We're going to create a new mission for ourselves. We're going to create a new purpose for ourselves, and we are going to start again so that we don't 
decline from here forward. We're going to ascend from here forward, and we are going to be new growth. As you say that, it strikes me that had to be really challenging because Jack Stack had become a iconic brand in Kansas City by that time. And so you have raving fans. And when that happens, a lot of times those customers, those people, guests, uh, do not want to see change. They, they have a, an ownership, a buy-in. So you you had to find that balance, I, I would assume, where you're starting over. But at the same time, you don't want to disappoint your guests with too many changes or to where they felt like it wasn't the, their brand anymore. Yeah, so one of the things I told my father-in-law when when the day we completed the transition, uh, I said, you will never be ashamed of the company that we will become. And so that was where my heart was. That was where the heart of our team was to honor our past and understand our past and understand all of the things in our past that made us who we were at that point in time and to build on that, not to destroy that or change that or move away from that, but to honor that and build from that. Let that be the foundation. And now you have the next generation working for you. You mentioned your your sons. What do you hope to impart to them? And do you think that they'll eventually take over the business or is it premature to even think about that? Uh, definitely not premature to think about that. We have been planning for many years for the transition of our family business. I just have to say my wife, Jennifer, is um, the rock of our family, and she has been the most amazing business partner. And, you know, our kids are a reflection of really her and her heart and her commitment to our family. And so, yes, we, uh, we are working on transitioning to the next generation. That wasn't always our plan. I think for Jennifer and I both, uh, we were always focused on just the brand and making sure the brand was cared for and honored. And we were creating real enterprise value in the business that we were building. So it was really more than about family. It was about systems and processes and leadership and, and building something sustainable for the future, not something that relied on me or relied on my wife or relied on a member of our family, but something that was that was stronger and bigger than any of those things. And uh, And I really feel like that's what we have today. We have something that's bigger than our family. And, uh, and it's amazing. It's beautiful. And my kids get that. They understand that. They understand that, that they have a role to play, but that the business can go on with them or without them. But, but we have chosen because we feel like socially, from a societal standpoint, that we can impact our community more by being in business together as a family business than we can by not being in business together as a family business. So everybody's got their own impressions of our culture today and what's going on in our country. And uh, and I think for us, you know, what we want people to see is we want people to see a business that cares about people and understands its role in the community that it serves. So we know that most of the giving that happens within any community comes from privately held or family businesses or uh, families that support that community. And we try to do our part there. I mean, we, uh, we have a giving mission as a family. We have a service mission as a family. We're here to serve. That's what we're passionate about. So we want to serve our community. We want to serve our team. And we just feel like 
perpetuating this business in the family, we can do more of that than we could if we sold to an outside investor and had some money to invest or some money to give away. Um, we just feel like this is a longer term play for us. And we're really blessed that we have children um, that believe Share this too. Values. Absolutely. Well, uh, they've obviously rubbed off. They've heard it enough and, and lived it enough through their mother and through you. What are some of your favorite memories of Jack Stack? Obviously your wife. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah. That, uh, that first meeting with my wife was, uh, was a great memory. We've had you know, so many through the years, so many stories, so many hardships, you know, I mean, people talk about, it's easy to talk about the success, you know, we've had so many failures. And some of my greatest memories are glimpses into the other side of a failure, right? So we wanted to expand our business. And, you know, at the time, the family wasn't all on the same page about expanding the business. I'll say that. So there were family members that were passionately against growing the business. And, uh, and I was one that was passionately for growing the business. And, uh, I took on a lot of, a lot of pressure and responsibility to do that. Six months into our second restaurant opening, the 95th and Metcalf store, I was just completely overwhelmed and feeling failure. Like I was just failing at growing this business. And, uh, a young lady that worked for us, Juliet Barber, came to me, sat with me that day, and she said, I see it. I get what you're trying to do, and I'm going to help. But that, for me, I mean, when you, when you talk about great moments, that was like just one of those light bulb moments for me that said, okay, we're going to keep going. Right. We're going right. to keep doing what we're doing because somebody sees it. And if she's if she sees it, maybe somebody else sees it, right? And uh, and so you know what that led to. Overland Park was a really tough stretch for our family. I mean, we had used all the financial resources we'd had, we'd used all the physical resources we'd had. I mean, we were just we were stretched. And from the outside, we would have people walk in and we'd be busy and they'd say, oh my gosh, this thing's a gold mine. And I'd be thinking, yeah, maybe a copper mine, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's no gold mine, let me yeah. tell you. You, you know, don't see the paddling under the surface. You know how much it yeah. costs to do this? Right. It's, it's a lot. And, uh, but two years later, Kelly, that store was one of the busiest restaurants in our city and has remained one of the busiest restaurants in our city for the last 20 six years. And, uh, and that store just continues to, uh, to perform really well and, uh, and has been a great blessing to us. So, uh, so those were great. We've gotten to do some really fun stuff. We've gotten to go to New York three times and cook at the James oh, Beard fun. House. Um, we've gotten to, you know, go to Miami and do the South Beach Food and Wine Festival with Bobby Flay. We've gotten to go to Los Angeles and do Fox Studios for AMC. We've gotten to travel around the country. We've been honored to, uh, we did the christening for the USS Missouri the first nuclear class sub with our state's name on it. And so we've just, we've just been able to do so many um, really fun, unique, exciting things that give us an opportunity to represent our city and our community and our business. It's been quite the ride, it sounds like. So where do you go from here? I mean, we talked about your sons, the transition to them, but where does the company itself go from here? Where do you, you open the event space? What other growth opportunities do you see? 
We're continuing down the same path where we're just uh, keeping our eyes open for the next great opportunity for us. Uh, my oldest son, Taylor, who is 33, uh, is in the business with us now. We have a non-family CEO right now, Travis Carpenter, who's uh, been with me almost 30 years. Travis is uh, an amazing man and uh, and doing a great job uh, leading our company. So, uh, And then my son, Taylor, runs our restaurant division. So he's over all of our restaurant businesses. My son, Keaton, runs our non-restaurant businesses. So he runs catering and event business, our wholesale, our retail, and our shipping divisions. Uh, so those all fall under his banner. Uh, they both have their own plans for growing the business. And at this point, for me, Kelly, I just want to support their efforts. And I see their talent. I see their passion that they have for this work. I see the passion that they have for our people and our community. And I just want to support and help them in any way I can. So in other words, it's not my vision anymore. It's really going to be their vision, and uh, and they're going to grow this business in the way that, that they see is best for the company. And uh, I'm super excited to support that and be a part of it, help them in any way I can. That's so beautifully said, Case. And I just want to thank you for all that you and, and your business have done for the community and for just the vision that you have had to carry this brand. And it's really a gift to the city. Well, it's been a blessing for us. Thank you for being on the show today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Case Dorman for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. The Jack Stack barbecue brand is iconic, not just in Kansas City, but around the country. Its staying power has endured through multiple decades and several family ownership transitions. A company doesn't achieve that kind of success through chance. So what's been the secret sauce for Jack Stack barbecue? In a word, values. There's no question they've been serving up value to their customers since day one. But just as important are the values that drive Jack Stack's leaders and associates. A commitment to the pursuit of excellence. A passion for creating an environment that honors, respects, and cares about every individual. A dedication to community service and giving. And an intentionality to build a sustainable future. These are the values Country Club Bank shares too and lives by every day. They are the values that can sustain a company's success for generations, and they are the values that can sustain a community too. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.